On this episode of Architect, we take a look at the Green Initiative, energy efficiency, and actually biophilia, how architects of the design community and the technology and AV community can work together to make better buildings. All that and more, next on Architect. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is Architect, Episode 8, Continuing to Lead. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is Architect, a monthly look at the architecture and the AV and technology spaces and how they interact. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Uh, talking today about LEAD, the LEAD or Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It's one of the most widely used energy efficient building rating systems in the world. Uh, the rating is available for building, community, and home project types. LEAD began in 1993 and has grown and evolved ever since. 2011, the USGBC began the accreditation process for individuals as well. With me to talk about LEAD and energy efficient buildings and how AV and technology can help. Uh, first and foremost, John Malade with White and Company. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Uh, also with us is my buddy Patrick Cuddy. Patrick is from La Grande. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Tim. Good morning. Great to be here. Thanks. And here's the thing. So this actually started with a conversation between Patrick and me talking about LEAD um, and what, and how it's impacting. Actually, first of all, how LEAD has, has evolved over the last, dear Lord, almost 30 years and how it's, it's evolved really in the last 10 years now that they're starting to do uh, things like certification. Um, Patrick, you are LEAD certified, not as a building, obviously, but as a, as a technologist, right? I'm a, yeah, I'm an accredited individual. I have a LEAD GA. Lean GA. All right. Um, so let, let's, let's start with this. I, uh, John, we'll start with you on this. Kind of remind our audience what lead is and, and why it's important um, to the design and, and the, the building uh, of a, a space or a, of a new construction. Sure. And that's a really good question. You know, lead was originally developed as a market transformation tool. And so it's been able to pull the best ideas and the best standards from different states, different countries, pull it all together in a package that really helped transform the industry. People can go above and beyond lead if you wanted to, to really excel with energy efficiency and net zero or some of these other rating systems. But lead was really one of the first American based frameworks that made it easy for design teams to get a grip and get a handle on all of the different considerations that go into a green building. Um, you know, and with that has come a widespread adoption, both domestically as well as internationally. So it is, you, you said it was, you know, looking at it from, from that context, then is, was, was lead, were we behind the ball, I guess, is, is the best way to ask this from, the, from a U.S. standpoint, were we, in, in, in lockstep, or were we running alongside other countries, or were we behind the ball, or, or are we kind of leading in that area? I hate using that, that term, but were we on the forefront and, and showing others kind of the way when it comes to lead? Sure. So I think that's a relative question, you know, leading whom? And there are parts of the world that do have very progressive building codes and building standards, and the cultural norms are different. And so people are more accustomed to 
investing in efficiency, for example, or in comfort because they understand and they reap the benefits. Um, there's certainly other parts of the world that are far behind and don't have basic building codes. Um, and so there's a really wide spectrum there. And so the U.S. is in the middle. It's towards the top, I would say. And certainly these days, um, the technology is there, and we are ha definitely have the ability to move forward. In fact, they have published maps of the U.S. with which states have adopted and updated their building codes and energy standards. Um, and it's really remarkable how much of the U.S. has taken that step with energy in particular to become more efficient. Patrick, uh, John mentioned the fact that, of technology, but we're bringing you in on this. You know, how has AV traditionally worked in conjunction with architects uh, as well as you know, design engineers and, and consultants to contribute to uh, a building's LEED certification? Yeah, so that, you know, Tim, that's a fantastic question because uh, when LEED first came out back in uh, you know, 1993 when it was started and then that has gone through several iterations now, um, most of the focus has really been on that energy piece, right? And energy has really been sucked up by the different trades other than the audiovisual marketplace. Now, in conjunction with architects and interior designs, if you think about what a space is designed to do, right, is to create a feeling, create an environment, create an experience, AV contributes to all of that. But unfortunately, currently, um, AV is not specifically called out in the lead system and we're on you know version 4.1 now is our newest one so what we're talking about in our industry right now is how do we participate in the ethos of that design and how do we contribute to the overall um solution that is trying to be provided by the designers and by all the other people involved in that space and what is trying to come out of that but we're really looking to take it now to that next step right how do we get our particular equipment pieces built into that standard for direct credit versus indirect credit and maybe a, uh, a fill-in on a particular category that's being evaluated. Well, so, so just, just to kind of remind folks, you can have a, as high as a platinum level lead certified building. Correct. Uh, base model is, cert base level is, is certified all the way up to platinum. Uh, years ago when I was a, a technology manager, I was involved in the design and, and deployment of a system a building. It was a research facility on the Mississippi. Um, and we were aiming for platinum, right? So we were the, the, to get platinum, you have to have 80 plus points. That was my first introduction to lead, right? Mm -hmm. so big meeting with the president of the college. I want to do this research facility and I want it to be lead. I want to be platinum, right? Fantastic conversations with folks. I'm curious, Patrick and, and John, I want to get your two cents on this as well. Yes, currently, AV is not called out. You can't put in a control system, a, a regardless of whose control system you use, um, and get a point or five points because you have a, a, a control system. However, and, and we learned this, by putting in you know, um, uh, occupancy sensors and putting in uh, day harvest, daylight harvesting, and you're putting in systems that talk with the AV systems and control systems and automation systems, you're able to contribute. So Patrick, when, when you're talking to folks and you're like, look, it would be, we're already doing it, right? We're already, we're already contributing to these points. What does it take then to get AV to get points, I guess, direct points? Yeah, it's a great question. I think part of it comes into um, the understanding of the background of how those credits are created, right? So 
um, to just make sure that the audience is, you know, completely familiar with what it is. There are several different rating systems that, that can be looked at. And within each of those credit you know, rating systems, there are credit categories. There's nine of them, right? And so when, when we talk about the AV scope, we're really talking about um, just a couple of those credit categories where we can come in. And what you just mentioned, Tim, with the, you know, the lighting systems and the shading control and the occupancy sensors and all of that, I think there's an easy way for AV to be called out in the innovation credits areas. That's how all those systems interact together and how they all work, right? How we need to then jump out is we need the, the industry to recognize that um, AV is just not a black box in a, in a rack in a closet somewhere and that it is actually part of that system. And if we can get, if we can cross that boundary and get that hurdle covered, then we're going to have the ability to say that, you know, we can go and say, you put this control system in and it, it will help with a point versus it being part of that greater picture. Because right now that stuff that you just described fits underneath the electrical scope yeah. and it gets credit. It, it does get credit that way. Um, and so, you know, we connect the dots on some re respects in that regard here at Legrand, but um, specific to AV, it's really, a, it really only sits on the innovation and how those, how all of those pieces and parts come together today, and I'd love to hear, you know, um, John John's thoughts on that as well. Sure, and, and you know, I think it, it's important to remember that what we're trying to do is design sustainable buildings. Lead is just a, a measuring stick to determine how well we did, and when we think about AV in the broader terms of sustainable design, um, there's so many opportunities that emerge, and you know, we're seeing now whether it be Lead or other frameworks that are available in the industry, you know, things like energy dashboards, you know, or indoor air quality monitoring, all these things are becoming so integrated with building systems. And not only that, they're being displayed so that occupants have real time information on how the building's performing. And so the systems are performing better, but also people are beginning to engage with buildings in newfound ways. Another good example is this notion of biophilia in that we've spent so much of our time indoors, it's hard to to really reconnect with the natural world. And design teams are doing this in a variety of capacities in a variety of different ways. Um, and it doesn't always mean because of project constraints, it doesn't always mean that you have to have, you know, desks out on the front lawn or out in, in the woods. Um, there's ways to bring these ideas of nature into the space, whether it be soundscapes, the sound of water projecting natural images on the wall, there's a lot of ways to integrate technology to give people a, a subtle cue, reminding them of our place in the world. So it's interesting you bring up biophilia, John, because a, a, a colleague of mine, um, Julie Jacobson, she works for uh, CE Pro Magazine, been in the industry for, for 25, 30 years. Um, she has, has, has kind of recently discovered biophilia in the last year, and it was a huge uh, a uh, huge part of what she wrote about in 2019 it was a huge part of what uh, was taking place in a number of the trade shows that we all kind of go to here in the industry, both from the Kitchen and Bath Cabez uh, show, as well as the CEDIA, uh, the, the, the home um, residential AV uh, show that happened in, in Denver uh, back in September. But the idea here is that the that technology can help us reconnect to outdoors. Uh, one huge example, and again, this is, this is nothing new, especially if you've been involved in, in, on, on the home side or the residential side of AV, is, is 
giving um, folks a, a recreation of our circadian rhythms. And, and very briefly, and I'm going to bastardize this and I apologize in advance, but basically it is making sure that the light, the color of the light that you're exposed to on a daily basis matches what's happening outside, right? So it is our natural, <laughs> John's giving me the, eh, I'll, I'll let you explain it better in a second. But, but from, with technology, we can take our light bulbs, right, and certain ones, and we can adjust the color temperature to make it, to make it you know, uh, more warmer in the morning and more, a, a, as the day goes on, it gets cooler. The, the light itself changes color. John, go into better detail on, on what, what I just trashed. Sure. You know, and it's, it's not that we haven't been doing this. I mean, if you look at night shift nurses in hospitals, I mean, we've been trying to provide them the same type of benefit through lighting systems so that they're not falling asleep on the job, right? And so what we're now doing is thinking about how light really impacts our, our awake and sleep cycles, as you noted. I mean, it really comes down to a spectrum of blue light um, that's found in daylight, but also white LEDs, for example. And so while some really like the idea of tuning light throughout the day, you know, with warm and cool colors, um, it's not necessarily what you have to do in order to achieve the same benefit. Now, having said that, this is also a very contentious point in the industry. And I think if you were to ask a lot, uh, several different lighting designers, uh, their thoughts on circadian lighting, you'd have several different responses. Um, and so it's something that the industry is actively working through and we look forward to the, the evolution of the technologies. Absolutely. Uh, there are other 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 rabbit trails you can go down but when it comes to biophilia. Some of it is is the the uh, the hot and the the heat and the the cool of the room and and of your of your your house or your building, uh, what you're in because when it gets at nighttime it's supposed to be cooler because that's you know again the, the Earth's natural rhythm. Um, yeah, if, if you really want to have some fascinating uh, reads, just type in biophilia in in the Googles. And, and and go to town. We'll you know, we'll probably do an, another show on that, uh, and we'll have Julie on. Um, Patrick, I want to kind of shift here a little bit. One of the, the moves that has has happened here in, in the last year or so is this this move to have a continuous lead accreditation, meaning uh, the buildings are constantly being reevaluated for lead certification if they're getting credits from the city or the state or the feds. Those could be. Um, I'm not saying in jeopardy, but if you lose your lead accreditation, you lose your lead, you know, tax credit, what have you. Um, talk for a second about what like places like the state of New York are doing uh, with this movement and how this is going to impact, uh, you know, our clients going forward. Yeah, so Tim, you're spot on. With the, with when Lead V4 came out, that is when we really started looking at this continuous performance of the uh, of the of the space and the building, right? Because you know we had all these companies going out getting lead certified, which was great, but then the impact after the fact is, well, that they did it to open, but now what? If the building's occupied, it's being used in different ways. And so there needed to be this measure, right? And that's what, exactly what you're speaking to here. Now, that is, um, that's still working off of the theory of, you know, people want to do the right thing. And that gets us so far with any of these certification systems, whether it's lead, fit well, living building <clears throat> challenge, et cetera. Um, what we needed to do was encourage the group you know, the, the early adopters bought in, we needed to encourage what I'll call like the normalized bell curve group that says, well, we're in the middle, we're going to see what happens. And how do we get them over the hump of wanting to go this direction so that we can be in truly more sustainable in our communities. And that's where code and 
regulations start to come into play. And so to your direct question of what's going on in New York City or the New York space, um, New York City just recently adopted several laws um, that came into play that effectively target any building or any space over 25,000 square feet to have additional sustainability initiatives in place by certain dates. Um, and they breach out into the, you know, into the mid, you know, 2020s and, and up to 2030 and, and that goal. And local laws 97 through, uh, I want to say 92 through 97, if I'm not mistaken, but they started looking at things like having, um, you know, green roofing for reflectivity and making sure that, you know, we're using that to, you know, get rid of the, the, the heat island effect. We're looking at, you know, certain things about energy uh, and, and how that's used and measured and going on. And so what you're starting to see now in communities um, in, like, like New York City, places where people know, regardless of where you are in the world, are, are efforts being put in place to codify some of these responses towards sustainability so that we do, in fact, preserve our environment for the future and kind of do that. And then you're also seeing... Um, the U.S. Green Building Council partner up with other new initiatives to create green communities. And, you know, Lake Placid, New York is another example of that, where you have multiple factors coming into play and an entire community, which involves the actual residents, not just the businesses in that whole thing. And it talks about recycling and, and energy usage and water and all of those pieces of sustainability. So you're seeing this shift now to get more people involved because the early adopters did it. But now we've got to get everybody else on board. That's right. And, and this move towards transparency really plays out in a few different ways. You know, there's annual reporting in quite a few cities. So now, you know, while people would regularly look at your MPG on a car if you were to buy a vehicle, very few people look at the energy efficiency of a home, yet the investment is much greater. And virtually nobody in the past was looking at particularly investment for um portfolios, we're looking at the efficiency of their buildings. And it's not just about efficiency. I mean, this data is now available. So if I were to be investing in a large tower in Chicago, I can go to the website, click on the building, and I can see what the energy performance is. This data is becoming clear and transparent. Um, but more importantly, I think, are, is this data around things like air quality, which has more of a direct impact on occupants. And so the, it is appealing to many invest, investor groups. Um, to start investing in buildings that are moving in this direction, that they understand what the risks are with the particular, with the particular asset. Um, they're able to mitigate risk. They can attract and retain tenants. And the, and the tenants themselves are attracting and retaining the best and brightest employees. Um, and a lot of that has to do with this continuous feedback of information on how the building's performing and how we then perform within that space. John, I'll ask you this, and Patrick, I'll bring you in on the other side. Is, is LEED and energy efficiency in direct competition to healthier buildings? No. Reason, well, the reason I'm asking that, typically and traditionally, and I'm talking 10 years ago, um, one of the ways that you could get LEED certification is if the building was efficient. It didn't lose... Um, heat. It didn't dissipate you know, the, the, the air conditioning. It was, it, it, was able, it was insulated well, right? One of the things that I'm understanding with, just go back to biophilia for a second, in a healthier building, sometimes those materials that make a building insulated, that make it energy efficient, are not the healthiest ones to use. 
So is it, 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 I'll go back, is it indirect competition or is it just we have to change the way that we're designing these efficient buildings? We need, we have the technology and we have the, the means to to design and construct both efficient and healthful buildings. And there's a number of examples out there. There are now entire frameworks and rating systems that assess only the health and wellness of buildings. Hmm. Uh, FitWell, the Well Building Standard, Reset for Air Quality are just a few. Um, you know, and there are examples where you might see that creative tension in you know, these trade-offs. And as designers, what we wanna do is try to find you know, we don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. It's about finding solutions that solve multiple problems. Um, today's lighting systems, for example, are far more efficient and they're also better for, for the occupants, right? We can say the same for mechanical systems and, and other systems within the building. Um, in the past, you're right, we struggled from having a tight envelope. Most of that was because the mechanical systems weren't designed to account, or they weren't in, designed in conjunction with each other. Um, and so I think we've continued to evolve our, our practices and we're, we're over that hump. Yeah, and I think to, to that point too, I mean, think about part of what LEED focuses on specifically, but you know, and I don't want to discount anything that John just said, there's Living Building Challenge and FitWell and, and all of these other certifications that are addressing these, but specifically, you know, the, that LEED component. Uh, materials and resources is a category that gets evaluated within the lead structure, and that talks about the um, well, you know, the kind of the cradle to cradle approach of where products come from. So, the sourcing of the raw materials, how far they're delivered, what kind of materials they are, and you start bringing into things like Rojas compliance that started in you know in the UK and has migrated its way over, and some of these other standards, right? Um, low VOC emittance, and all of that comes into play. So. Really, Tim, to your point, 10 years ago, yeah, it was, a, it was a different story than it is today. And, and as we've gone into the 4.1 level of the certification system, it, it really does become now what I believe complementary to that overall goal because you are addressing things like indoor air quality. And, and we all know, I mean, it, it probably begs the reason just to, to state it that, you know, residential and commercial buildings are what we consider today to maybe be high performance buildings, you know, are consuming a lot of you know our world's energy and a lot of our water and so that also speaks to the the health and sustainability of the individual and how that individual reacts with that space so i think as we look at how weed will grow and then some of these other rating systems will come into play to be you know partnered up with that challenge of reading that you know hitting that certification we're really going to begin to avoid this conflict although we will have trade-offs of, of where do we get from who and how and how is it built, I think it's going to level up everybody to make sure that we're going in that right direction. Yeah, and that's a good point. The materials landscape in particular has changed significantly in recent years and it will continue to do so. And you brought up the example of the insulation that might be hazardous from an emission standpoint or to occupants. Uh, you know, we've been adding more and more insulation that using that example, we've been adding more and more insulation to reduce our operational energy use, yet the embodied impact of many of these materials is large. And so current research um, says that over the 30 year life of a building, the amount of energy used in the building materials equates to just to produce, to mine them, manufacture them, distribute them, assemble it all together into a building, produce, uses, consumes as much energy or emits as much greenhouse gases as the operational energy of the building itself. 
And so the main difference, though, is that the impact of the materials happens on day one. Yeah. And so if we really want to address some of these global challenges, we need to look at the, what the materials themselves are made out of. Well, that actually, John, that actually brings up a really good point here. Is, is who all is impacted in this, this new um, move to continue? recertification or continual I, I when when Patrick and I were talking about it and Patrick's kind of the guy that, that kind of introduced me to this whole recertification I, I equated it to to a, a restaurant certification my wife is is in the restaurant business uh, has been for 30 years every quarter they get you know rated uh, they, the, the local inspector comes in and gives them you know an AB or I, I think it's pass fail at this point here in, in, this, in the St. Louis area but at one time they gave them a grade, right? They, you got an A, you got a B. Um, ones that got Fs, you didn't go to. Um, so you know who who all is is kind of affected here? Is it everybody in the chain? Is it just the architects? Is it just the technology folks? Who's who's the one who's going to feel the biggest brunt of this this continual certification? You know, the the design and construction community with committed owners are making it happen. You know, part of it's based on code, part of it's exceeding code. Remember that if you're meeting code you're doing, you're like one step away from being illegal. It's like when we designed a code, that's like, it's not a, it shouldn't be a goal. Like yeah. that is the bare minimum you have to do. And so we should always be looking above and beyond and how we can actually do better um, with all of our designs. At the end of the day, you know, we've been giving a lot of attention to building occupants as some of the, the primary stakeholders here. And that makes good sense. Um, but as we get more sophisticated with these considerations, we're really trying to expand that, that realm of, of impact. So now we're thinking about how does the manufacturing of these materials impact the folks down at the factory, you know, or at the plant, you know, how, what, what is the impact to the guys in the field that are sawing and inhaling some of the dust, you know, when they're constructing the building. And so in terms of who's affected by these decisions, it's really everybody. It really is everybody. Um, and I think we're increasingly acknowledging that and doing our best to address that. Yeah, I, John, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it is, it is, you know, they say it takes a village, right? I mean, that's a common theme in a lot of different contexts. And here it's the same thing where um, before I would say, Tim, it started with the architects, right? And they wanted to design buildings that were signature spaces, get their name out there, be first adopters and have all this other stuff. And it was, it was the emergence of that certification as the new flashy or shiny object. And then the owners came on board realizing, Hey, wait a second. I can, if I do this, I can increase my rent, right? I can get a better, you know, I may be able to retain my tenants. Maybe they don't jump off ship and go to another building that's newer. You know, I can do these kind of things. And there's all of this pieces and parts. Well, now, you know, technology has finally come up to a point where we can, you know, we're participating in that and we're recognizing that, and especially in this conversation, and thank you for doing so, you know, that we now have a whole community looking at this. And you know, I just had the, the, the opportunity to attend Greenbuild down in Atlanta this year, which is the, you know, the USGBCs and, and the global largest conference on sustainable building. And uh, it was interesting to partake in you know, a, um, a high performance building conversation. And, and one of the buildings highlighted was one of the most signature buildings in all the world. It was actually the, the Empire State Building. And they're going on, they're finishing up, I think, if not already finished, a complete five-year renovation that affected everything from you know replacing the windows, looking at putting in a different HVAC systems, and all of these focus with an excuse me emphasis on attaining a high certification for lead 
and I, and I don't know which one they picked, so I'm not going to try to guess. Um, but a very high certification on that for the purpose of tenant satisfaction at the high level, at the highest level, right? And being able to say without fail that if you if you are using our space, if you're renting in the Empire State Building, your people are going to be more productive, healthier, and and happier in the workplace. And if you look at that beyond, and you look at some of the major companies that we all know, and, it, and it's, you know, you can basically talk about Google, Apple, and Microsoft in any conversation, regardless of what we're talking about. And if you think about them, you know, they're also, think about their messaging and what they do and how they treat their employees and what kind of services they give and, and you know, things like fitness centers and food and, and, and access and sleeping rooms and napping rooms and nursing stations and all of the things that come together. That that if you look at that at its core, it's tenant satisfaction, and tenant satisfaction is driven on how do I experience the space, right? And that comes back to all of those mechanical systems, but it brings us also back to AV because if we're you know if we think about how often we're in a building versus out in the real world, and to John's earlier point about projecting natural images and putting sound you know waterfalls and those kind of things in there and reconnecting us to our greater environment. Um, that's how we loop it all back to this technology piece and the world in which we live in and how we're able to then say, there's a reason for EV to be part of this dialogue from day one and the onset of that first, you know, that first charrette or that first integrative meeting or building design like goals conversation. As we wrap up here, guys, one last quick question. Um, cause we've talked about more than just lead here, right? We talked about other certifications and other initiatives. Is there going to be one, let's call it an ombudsman certification, like one overarching, this is a, this is a well building that's also green, right? This is a, an efficient, um, uh, healthy place to be, or is it the fact that number one, it's, it's too squishy and it's too movable and it's too dynamic and it's going to change over the next four, five, six, 10, 20 years to where these other initiative, other, other certifications and other um, things are going to come up to where, you know what, today it's lead. You, you're going to shoot for platinum, but you're also going to shoot for platinum at Fitwell. You're also going to shoot for the ultimate in, in well-being and Rojas and whatever. And when another thing pops up and, and we start talking about let's maybe there's, there's a certification for circadian rhythms in, in the, the space. Is that what we're going to, is that what it is where all these various ones that, that we're going to shoot for? Yeah. I, you know, I think there's, there's a, a bit of, of rating system fatigue in the marketplace because of the vast number of them. They're continually changing. You know, it's, you're going to, you have to continue to hire consultants to navigate this just like you might hire an accountant to navigate a changing tax code. Right. So I don't think that in and of itself is a problem, but you know, nature is, is composed of a diverse system. And I think we need a diverse palette of, of frameworks and criteria to really align with client, um, client initiatives and really their values. And so, you know, if they're really concerned about air quality or there's other drivers for concern about air quality, you know, maybe resets the best. If they're looking at a more holistic health program for occupants, then you might select well or more comprehensive environmental impact, look at LEED or Living Building Challenge. I mean, different frameworks. And you can, of course, customize all of them. Now, the thing is that all of these frameworks, the real value is them being a QAQC for the project. Yeah. And so in my mind, there's no such thing as designing 
to lead standards. You don't get anything close to a lead building unless it actually goes through the certification process. And that's really where the value proposition is to the owner. Because at the end of the day, we shouldn't be designing just to meet a certification level. You design with a more comprehensive vision and goals and the certification is the measuring stick. Yeah, I agree, John. I mean, I don't think we're going to see, Tim, that, you know, uh, an overall overarching one standard for everybody to follow because there are, you know, different goals. Everybody has an, an, a different, you know, somewhat of a different agenda, if you will, on what they want to do and why they're trying to do that effort. Um, but I do think that, you know, having all of the expertise out in the market is fantastic for us. And the diversified thought leads us down multiple paths of, of success. So, you know, Leeds was kind of, if you will, the, the, the grandfather to all of them. And then little things jumped out of there saying, hey, we'd really like to be a little more specific on this particular pop, you know, part of it. And then, you know, that's how well got established, right? And, and it started out. We just wanted to get, you know, partially. I mean, it's one of the, the basis for that, for that happening. So you think through that and, um, you know, I, I couldn't agree with John Moore. I think it, you, you start talking about this whole overarching goal and, and that's really what we're trying to do. Now, what I, would, what I would say to that, though, is that I think in today's world, the greater community is more aware of this piece, right? Like we, we hear about how global warming is happening and, and, and all of these other things and e-waste is now becoming something that people pay attention to. And, and, you know, you think about just simply, you know, the lightning connector for your iPhone and, and that charging adapter that UK said, Hey, wait a second, we're getting way too many power supplies in, you know, landfills, you guys as major companies have to come together and figure out which one you're going to use, right? And start making that happen. And then that, that started down this whole path with, the, you know, with Apple. So if we, the, the greater community having this sense of awareness to what's happening in our environment is helping to drive some of this change. And I think in that, we have an opportunity to just continue the conversation regardless of which certification criteria we go after. Again, that'll be a, a good place to stop it, gentlemen. Thank you both so much. Um, Patrick Cuddy uh, from, from uh, Legrand, how do people find you or, or Legrand? So simply legrand.us or if, if you're looking for specifically AV focused pieces, it's legrandav.com. And that is now the, you know, the seven brands that many people are familiar with in the legacy of um, Middle Atlantic, Chief, Body of Daylight and some sub brands underneath there. Um, if they're looking for me in particular, patrick.cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y at legrand.com. Uh, happy to help out there. And uh, again, you know, Tim, thanks for the opportunity uh, for having this conversation and getting it to this, this forefront. Um, I am CTS certified and a lead GA, so we can answer a whole bunch of questions on a lot of different areas if your community would like to uh, follow up and reach out. Absolutely. Right. Thank you so much. Uh, and John uh, Malade, uh, John is with White & Company. How do people find you or White? Yep. White & Company is a design and engineering and construction firm uh, based in Chicagoland. You can find us at wightco.com. And my email is jmlade, jmlade at whiteco.com. Um, I want to thank you as well uh, for putting this together. I think there's a lot of opportunities here. And just want to remind the audience that while IT and AV may feel like you're getting left behind, it is an integral part to um, integrating buildings, um, particularly as with the Internet of Things and smart building initiatives.
Thank you both so much, John. Thank you for, for those words. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, uh, go, don't follow me on the Twitters, but go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, please check out our supporters section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you Architect, AV Week, Resi Week, and so many more. And a number of LeGrand uh, companies are supporters of ours, so we thank them for their support. All that and more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thank you so much for listening. That's all the time we have for Architect.